Second lesson is from the Gospel according to John, the ninth chapter. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's work might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Salaam. Salaam means sent. Then he went and washed and came back, able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying it is he. Others were saying no, but it is someone like him. The man said, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? The man called Jesus made mud to me, go to Salome. They said to him, Where is he? No. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. Then I walked. The Jews said, this is not from God. This man is not from God. not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they again said to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, The Jews did not believe that he had been born blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we, do not, we know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So, for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. I do not I do know. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Then they reviled him, saying, You are but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from.
You were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, If you were blind, you would not have sinned. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week, I encouraged you to let questions be part of your prayers. So I'm wondering you did that, are you getting the answers that you expect? There are a lot of questions in today's readings. I can't think of a single passage in any of Scripture with more questions than we get in this passage. There are a lot of questions, and there's also a large amount of time where Jesus is absent. It's the longest stretch in any of John's Gospel where Jesus disappears from the scene. There's a lot of a lot of questions. A long time when Jesus is not there. We ask a lot of questions, theological questions, but I wonder how often we actually ask those of God. I often hear people say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask, and that always gets my attention because I want to know what it is they are wondering. Sometimes it's, why is the platypus shaped the way it is? Why do we have this appendix that we don't need? But most of the time, it's far more significant than that. A question on my mind this week is, why is Gail about to die? I know the medical reason. She has terminal cancer. But I guess my question is, why her and why now? Gail is around 50. She has two sons. One's about 18, one's 20. They lost their father when they were very young, so she's raised them by herself. She has pushed them to become Eagle Scouts just barely into adulthood and about to be orphans. So I'm wondering, why her? Why now? My question is not, why is God causing this? I don't believe that God causes cancer or HIV hurricanes, or traffic accidents. But I do wonder, I wonder with God, why is this family going through this awful time? The disciples looked at a man born blind. They didn't ask why, because they had been taught the religious reason. He was born blind because someone sinned, they'd been taught. The question is who? 
who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. It's not a personal question. They don't know the man. They just stumble across him as they're walking along. He's not there, Gail. They're just asking the question as an academic exercise. It's a riddle. Can you sin enough in utero to cause your own birth defect? Or does it have to be from the parent? They're wondering. Who to blame? Blame. We blame. We look for someone to blame. There's something reassuring about blame. If we can point to someone's behavior or someone's negligence as the cause of suffering, then we can find ways to control our lives a little better. We can say if we avoid that, then we will prevent some suffering in our lives. If a group of people or being kind to a group of people can be pointed to as the reason a hurricane hits a particular city, then we think we could just not be kind to that group of people or get rid of that group of people and a hurricane would somehow avoid our city. Of course, we know that's not how it works, even if religious people try to convince us of that. So when Jesus is asked this academic question, who sinned, this man and his parents, or his parents, the, the disciples expected that they'd get an academic answer, that he would point out blame in one group or the other. Surely then they were surprised when Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents caused this. Don't blame them. Don't blame their sin. Something different is going on here. God is at work here. What we learn from Jesus is that while sin almost always leads to suffering, not every instance of suffering is the result of someone's sin. Let me say that another way. When you sin, there will be a result that will almost always lead to someone suffering. But there are times when people suffer that, it's, that are not the result of someone's sin. I want you to hear that because when our theology of suffering hinges on blame, the inevitable consequences are either witch hunts, who can we pin this on, or self-recrimination, what did I do to cause my loved one to suffer the way she is? Both are heart-wrenching and often unfair questions. Jesus doesn't join the disciples in looking for someone to blame. Instead, he points to God at work, which for me raises another very difficult question. Jesus, why does that man get to see while my friend Gail's sons are about to be orphaned? I haven't received a satisfying answer for that question yet. I may not. I don't think we get obvious or satisfying answers to every question we ask. Sometimes the answer is nothing more than God's presence with us. 
in our conversations about prayer this month. We keep talking about prayer as conversation with God, which I think is a, a good definition. But I've also been thinking a lot lately about how prayer is often simply being in God's presence. Sometimes conversation is actually more active than what we do when we pray. If we sit still for a moment, we might actually experience God among us. If we get lost in some music, we might actually worship in some meaningful way. One thing I know is that in human relationships, it's not always about conversation. I don't have to actually do something actively with Sally or have a conversation actively with Sally in order to have felt a connection by being in God's, in Sally's presence. And I don't think it's that different with God. Paul captures the essence of this when he says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. When I don't know how to lay the questions or the hurts of my life before God. When I think of that woman and her son suffering and the suffering that is yet to come, I can't possibly articulate in some rational conversation what I am feeling and thinking and hoping and wondering. I need the Holy Spirit to intercede with sighs too deep for words. I need to trust that God is going to be present with them. With you. With me. In the hardest moments of life. I think experiencing that kind of presence is a form of prayer. I also think that there are times when God's response to our prayers is to invite us to be part of His response our prayers. Sometimes prayer is passive presence, and sometimes prayer is active conversation, and sometimes prayer is, is pushing us to go and be part of what God is going to do in response to our prayers. Before Jesus heals the man born Blind. He has this interesting comment. He talks in plural. He says, we must work the works of him who sent me. We. I can't answer all the whys that I have in my life. But there are some prayers that come with obvious answers. Do you want peace, Jesus? Seems to me an easily answered question. 
God, do you want people to have enough food to eat? Again, seems pretty obvious. Do you want us to help this blind man? Do you want Gail and her sons to know the comfort of our love? I don't have to search the scriptures very long or or even my heart to know the answers to those questions. Instead, I get the feeling that when Jesus says, we have to work the works of him who sent me, that he means we. We're going to pray for the hungry. I think God is going to ask us to help him answer our prayer. I think God is going to ask us to help the hungry. We're going to pray for peace, and I think God's going to ask us to help bring about peace. We're going to pray for Gail and her sons and the many others whose lives have been turned upside down lately. And I think God's going to ask us to help care for them. We absolutely should be praying for each of these situations. God wants to know what is on our hearts, what's troubling us, what's keeping us awake at night. God wants to know those things of us. And and obviously, God can do more than we can do alone for the situation. But I believe that God has given us gifts, including our concerns that are part of how God wants us to respond to these needs. We must work the works of Him who sent me. Chris Barrett, Elisa's husband, is Gail and her son's pastor now. He sent out an email this week to the congregation giving them some suggestions of what they might do in this time of need. And one of those he started with was prayer. Pray for them, he said, including prayers of thanksgiving for Gail and and her life and for God's work within it. And he went on to invite the congregation to be partial answers to the prayers they pray, to take food to those boys as a tangible sign of their love. And then as he put it, be the church for them. The church, Chris said, puts flesh on our prayers when we offer our presence, service, gifts, and witness. None of those will answer all the whys that we have in this life. But they are part of answering the how. part of answering how God is present with us in the midst of difficult times. When Jesus and his disciples encountered the blind man, Jesus didn't answer the question why. He didn't offer any blame for the man's condition. He showed how God would be at work in the man's life. He cared for the man and invited the disciples to join him in that. He made his healing presence known. 
often, it turns out. God's healing presence is the only answer to our prayers we really need. Amen.